KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, March 23rd. Officials want you to apply for rent relief if you need it. More on that next, just after the headlines. The Petco Park vaccination superstation is now closed to make way for baseball, but a new vaccination site at San Diego State University's Viejas Arena opens today. Here's supervisor Nathan Fletcher. The opening of a robust vaccination site at this well-known location uh, offers an important expansion of our ability to not only administer vaccines, but to ensure an equity-based focus uh, to make sure the communities that have been historically left behind not engaged, uh, not had unique uh, plans and processes in place to ensure their access to public health. Meanwhile, Supervisor Nathan Fletcher also says the San Diego Convention Center will soon be used to house hundreds of unaccompanied migrant children who have crossed the U.S.-Mexico border. Just as we would want for any of our children to do everything we can to ensure a safe and compassionate location to help facilitate them through what is a very difficult time in their lives. Fletcher says the plan came together over the weekend after Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra asked the county directly for help. The facility will be used for three months and will be operated and paid for by the federal government. A storm system is sweeping through the county today and there's been some light rain already. The rain should clear up by tomorrow ahead of more storms on Thursday. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. San Diego officials are urging those who have lost income due to COVID-19 to apply for rental assistance. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says the city has more than $83 million to give away. The money comes from the two most recent federal stimulus laws. Low-income tenants who have suffered financial hardship under the pandemic can have all their back rent covered if their landlord agrees to forgive 20 percent of it. Bridget Browning leads the Hotel Workers Union Unite Here Local 30. She says hospitality workers in particular need this aid. The sad fact is that many of our communities were already struggling with the cost of living when our tourism industry shut down. These jobs are historically low-paying jobs, and often those who rely on them str struggle to support their families and are overwhelmingly women, immigrants, and people of color. 
City Councilmember Raul Campillo says many people have already applied for the aid. But we need to do as much as we can to contact more San Diegans in hard-to-reach areas with billboards by internet, radio, newspaper, interviews, and historically underserved communities as well to make sure that no one who needs this help falls through the cracks. The assistance can also be used to pay off utility bills. Applications in English, Spanish, and Vietnamese are at covidassistance.sdhc.org. And that was KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen. The city of Calexico waited for months before deciding to sell land to the federal government for border wall development. Part of that land is occupied by a temporary encampment of farm workers. But it turns out the vote to sell came too late. iNewsource investigative reporter Jennifer Bowman has more. Calexico City Council members considered it a done deal. $27,000 from the U.S. government in exchange for two and a half acres of land. There's just one problem. The federal government can't buy the property. I was just told uh, a couple minutes ago by the city manager that the land sale has been canceled directly because of, of the proclamation. That's Calexico Council member Raul Urena. He's talking about President Joe Biden's announcement in January to suspend border wall construction. The land the city thought it sold is slated for a second border wall in Imperial County. Federal officials told iNewsource they began asking the city for a final decision in September. It's unknown why Calexico waited months to vote. Mayor Pro Tem Javier Moreno supported the sale. He said fighting it could have been costly in court for Calexico taxpayers. Imagine the impact on the fees, on the attorney fees and everything else, and we go back to square one. For now, the farmworker encampment that's occupying part of the land won't be impacted. That was iNewsource investigative reporter Jennifer Bowman. For more on this story, go to iNewsource.org. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. Despite the economic impact of the pandemic, 2020 was a record year for remittances from the U.S. to Mexico. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne has more. Money transfer houses remained busy during the pandemic as people wired money to their families living south of the border. Domingo Ramos Medina, an economist in Tijuana, says government aid that included stimulus checks and unemployment contributed to the historic remittances in 2020. 41 billion dollars worth of remittances were wired in 2020 and kept many families in Mexico afloat during quarantine. Ramos says data from January of this year is also showing an increase in remittances because the U.S. economy is improving. One factor to this improvement is the vaccine availability that is helping businesses reopen. That was KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne. On Monday, the last section of Qualcomm Stadium was demolished. The last light tower and the last piece of the old stadium bowl, once visible from the I-8 and the I-15, have come down. The old stadium makes way for the construction of SDSU Mission Valley and Aztec Stadium. SDSU Mission Valley Development says crews are reclaiming and recycling as much of the existing stadium as possible. Here's Gina Jacobs with SDSU. In terms of the concrete and the asphalt of the parking lot, all of that's being, a majority of that's being ground up on site and will be reused on site for the fill and for the road base with, throughout the projects. 
The new Aztec Stadium is said to be on schedule to be done in time for the 2020-22 football season. Coming up, San Diego History Center has just opened a new exhibit focusing on black homesteader Nathan Harrison, who died in 1920. What can we learn about our community and our society now by examining the life of this, this one individual? There's more on that next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. The San Diego History Center has opened another exhibit to go along with its Celebrate San Diego Black History and Heritage exhibit. The new exhibit focuses on black San Diego homesteader Nathan Harrison. Harrison is a freed slave from Kentucky who lived in a small cabin on Palomar Mountain starting in the mid-1800s. KPBS arts and culture reporter Beth Accomando explains how archaeology played a role in fleshing out the life and legend of Harrison and in challenging ideas about local history. Seth Malios is an archaeologist, but on a certain level, he's just going through people's garbage. It wouldn't be glamorous if I went through your garbage, but boy is it authentic. Whenever somebody writes something down, they're aware of a future audience, and so a lot of bias goes into that. But when you take out your garbage in the morning, you're not expecting that my students and I are going to quickly jump on it and do a lot of research on it. Seven years ago, Malio started going through Nathan Harrison's garbage from more than a century ago to try and figure out who this San Diego legend might have been, since there was little documentation about his life outside of a vast archive of photographs. Harrison was famous as San Diego's first black homesteader, says Tina Zarpour, vice president of community engagement, education, and collections at San Diego History Center. One of the things that we're showing through this exhibit that he was one of San Diego's first tourist destinations. People would make a trek, a three-day journey from San Diego to Palomar Mountain to come and see him and bring provisions and different gifts and things like that. I think he was probably good at, at telling a story and entertaining. But Harrison had to overcome incredible obstacles before obtaining his freedom and becoming one of San Diego's most photographed residents. He was brought west from Kentucky as a slave and in the late 1800s made his permanent homestead on top of Palomar Mountain. That's where Malios, a San Diego State University professor of anthropology, found Harrison's cabin along with 50,000 artifacts. But what Malios discovered in June of 2004 didn't look like a cabin. 
There wasn't a cabin standing there. It was, it was waist-high weeds, rattlesnakes, scorpions, you name it, right out of Indiana Jones. And this is where garbage becomes buried treasure. With each new unearthed item, Malleus was able to create a more vivid picture of Harrison the man. We found a little iron cross, a little pendant. That is highly personal and very specific to Nathan Harrison. But it also tells this bigger story that Catholics were persecuted against during this time. So think about this for a second. He's African-American, he's married to an indigenous woman, and he's a converted Catholic. All these things put him in the crosshairs in a very dangerous situation. And so that's my response to, why are you spending so much time on just one person and just one person's garbage? Because it's such a robust story. A story that Sapor says reveals how African-Americans have had to navigate a world of inequities. For Harrison, it involved the kind of dual identities that we now call code switching. Those were very purposeful identities. And there was sort of the public persona, and then there was the private persona. When conceived in 2019, the exhibit was going to be a 100-year anniversary celebration of Harrison. But Malio says the Black Lives Matter movement transformed the exhibit into something deeper. A lot of the Nathan Harrison story is about all the challenges he faced in terms of structural inequity. The fact was, so he was brought to California as a slave. And what that meant was when California entered the Union as a free state, he stayed a slave. The, the white owners weren't forced to give up their property, and that's what slaves were seen as. So he and thousands of others like him stayed a slave in this free state. We're opening in 2021, and now these issues, asking that question, do ethnic minorities still face these sorts of struggles in terms of structural inequity? Do they need to put on an act to get by? Those are things that Harrison was dealing with over 100 years ago, and that's a key part of the story now. But one part of the story is being kept a mystery. The big punchline to this exhibit, and I'm not going to give it away because you have to come down here to see it, but it's how archaeology revealed a big secret about Harrison's identity. So your invitation to play Indiana Jones awaits you at San Diego History Center's latest exhibit on Nathan Harrison. That was KPBS arts and culture reporter Beth Accomando. The San Diego History Center's exhibition Nathan Harrison, Born Enslaved, Died a San Diego Legend, is currently open for in-person visitors with an additional online component. A new Institute of Contemporary Art has formed in San Diego, merging the San Diego Art Institute in Balboa Park with the Lux Art Institute in Encinitas. The new museum will keep both campuses and it'll open in the fall with an exhibition by Mexican artist Gabriel Rico. Lux's Andrew Oot will serve as the ICA San Diego Executive Director, and he speaks with KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans. What? is contemporary art, and what then is an institute of contemporary art? Contemporary art is, it's art that is cutting edge. It's art that is happening now. It is art that breaks the traditional boundaries of what you might experience. It's not just a painting. It's not just a sculpture. It could be an installation. It could have media. It could have sound. It could even have smells. So that's what contemporary art is, for me at least. And then what is an institute? Well, we might 
assume or interpret an institute to be an educational institution. Uh, it is that. In fact, uh, for both institutions, the San Diego Art Institute and Lux Art Institute, we see education as a very high priority in what we do. It means talking about what's happening in the world. It means talking about what art means, how culture can affect us. And so we educate in somewhat non-traditional ways about uh, what's happening. And why are these two established museums merging? And why now, in the middle of a pandemic and all the cultural upheaval of this last year? Well, I should almost put the question back to you, which is why not now? This is a great opportune time to take advantage of the fact that uh, we are coming together as humanity. We're looking towards a future that is positive and uh, we resolve many of our, or we're trying to resolve, I should say, many of our global issues that we're dealing with, whether that is specifically the pandemic itself, uh, but also looking at more social justice issues or environmental issues, things that we're really trying to resolve in order to make a better world for all of us. So this is that opportune time. It's, it's a time for us to come together as two institutions and ultimately have more impact uh, across our San Diego County. And ultimately, uh, when we become an ICA together, it becomes part of a, a nationally recognized institution. And how might this change how San Diegans and people in this, this general border region experience art? Art is traditionally experienced when you walk into a museum. Sometimes you might have it in your home. Sometimes you might see it in a gallery or in a store, some commercial space, or even in someone else's home. We want to challenge the ideas of what it means to experience art. And in fact, the mission of the new organization is literally to question everything. So when we question everything, we're also questioning what it means to have a museum space, what it means to have an experience with art. Ultimately, we want to, to democratize the relationship of experiencing art. And to do that, we need to break out of our walls. Uh, so while we will have walls, because it's important to come into a space and experience uh, that excitement and that joy of being around art and seeing something intriguing and engaging, something that you'll walk away from and, and have that knowledge or remembrance of. But also, we want to bring it into your home. We want to bring it onto the street, onto bus stops, onto billboards, uh, onto your screens at home. The pandemic has shown that we can really engage people through virtual means, through technology, but how do we expand that into a broader array of, of our spaces, um, both outdoors and indoors? And this has been a, a volatile year for museum workers and for artists. Will things change for the staff of these, these separate institutes? Well, we're going to be adding more staff as a result of the merger. Uh, we have done things on a very slim staff. In fact, it's pretty amazing that, uh, for instance, Lux, we have been very focused on challenging the preconceptions of how you engage with art, especially in a technological way. And uh, you may remember, Julia, the, the app that we produced for the phone where you could uh, use augmented reality to bring artwork inside your home or even walk through a, our gallery space uh, through augmented reality. And those are some of the ways that we want to engage people. Certainly with the pandemic, you know, 
we saw a lot of financial issues, not just with our institution, but across the board with all businesses. Um, we have been lucky enough to be sustainable during this time period. You know, that that's a, a huge thing to say to, to be sustainable during a pandemic, but we, we have been, which is amazing. And in addition to that, uh, we see ourselves flourishing with this new way of thinking about the world and about space. The first exhibition you'll hold in the, the newly inaugurated space will be work by Mexican artist Gabriel Rico. And I spoke to Gabriel last week about his plans to initially start working with scientific institutions and cultural institutions here to get a sense of the anthropology of this place and the community. And here's what he said. Don't just work inside the ICA facilities. I want to cross the limits, the walls, and make connections with these kind of institutions, but make connections with the society. Because at the end, the great thing of a show, if it's a great show, that's my personal opinion, of course, is when the people, the citizens of that precise city start to believe in the museum or in the uh, institution. Andrew, what is it about this artist and this approach that is perfect for the ICA San Diego? Well, I think Gabrielle just hit it right on the nose there when he talked about building those connections between institutions and the people who live in the city. And that really is, you know, about how we can really challenge the ideas of what our walls mean. Uh, the other point is that Gabriel is very contemporary in his work. He's really pushing the boundaries of what we experience and what we understand art to be. Um, he's using sort of non-traditional in the in the sense of art means of using man-made objects or existing objects like taxidermied objects or Coca-Cola bottles, and then merging those with ceramic creations or um, other objects that he has created to build these sort of environmental scapes. And we start to think about the environment around us and the objects that we consume and the objects that we dispose of. And so he starts to talk about some environmental impact questions that we have around the, the world. Uh, he's tackling some of those issues and wants to call attention to what those mean and also the delicacy of them, what it means to throw a a bottle back into the world and what that can do to the changing ecosystem. That was Andrew Oot, the executive director of the new Institute of Contemporary Art San Diego, speaking with KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon Evans. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by 
the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.